Meredith Football Podcast, David Lawson, alongside Stefan Hausen. What's going on, Stefan? Good, man. You know, back again for starting the week. Another football chat. Let's get into it. You know what's funny, Stefan? A few days ago, I was thinking about when we started this podcast years ago. I think it was like 2013 or whenever it was. And we used to sneak into the university uh, <laughs> radio studio to record it. And yep, I always would do the introduction, but I'd always mess up. And the person recording would just like look like, what the hell? Just send <laughs> the name and start. Uh, I always remember that. Anyway, Stefan, jump right into it. Liverpool versus Chelsea. Chelsea. Did you watch it? Because I haven't spoken to you. Yeah, I watched it. I watched all 120 minutes of it and I watched all 22 penalties. Um, you know, watching that game, we, um, we spoke about recently, we was talking about like games in the past, like Arsenal from the past. And it jogged my memory to think about a game, like my favorite nil-nil game. Arsenal beat Real Madrid in 2006 Champions League, 1-0 in Real Madrid. But then when it came back, it was nil-nil. I thought that was my favorite nil-nil. This nil-nil was weird. It was good. Because there were so much chances, but it was bad that they were missing all these chances. It was good that both sides seemed up for the final, but it was bad because I didn't think many of the, the players played that well, like the recognized players outside of Trent Bex, who is just who was just dropping some passes from unbelievable angles, just just just, <laughs> just, just, just bouncing coins, just bouncing coins into a drink, man. The man was so special. I didn't think Salah was good. Mane was substituted. I actually thought the I thought um the, the new Liverpool player there. I thought he was really good. I can't believe his name just slipped me because I was watching the whole game closely, yeah, Colombian. And I was watching, I was like, yo, this guy looked like a player. I was yep. watching how he was dribbling, how he's moving. I thought he had a good game. Uh, uh of course, I didn't think anybody in either midfield played particularly well. Uh, and it was it was a bit surprising. And my friend Conte, do, uh, my friend Conte didn't think, do you know for most of the first half? Do you know sorry, sorry, for most of the 90 minutes? Do you know what Conte's passing percentage was? Uh less than 80%. 60 by the 60% yeah. by the 83rd minute. Was, yeah. And the reason why I put 83rd minute didn't go back because I remember checking it and it was like, you know, checking the site and it was like he had these tackles and stuff. It was like at 58% at one point. Yep. And I was like, what the hell? And then towards the end, he just started to just do some meaningless back passes, side passes to boost up and he got ended up getting to 71%. But for most of that game, it was absolutely diabolical. You won't hear it about it, but I bring it to, bring bringing that to attention. But anyway, off of that, what you thought about the game, Stefan? I mean, I agree with you for the most part. I thought an interesting game when you consider the fact that most EPL games or, or games between EPL clubs between the big clubs are usually stone boring I give them credit for that it was a good game in regards to good it was interesting it was slightly entertaining. I see a lot of people now heralding it as the best they've seen I definitely think it would make my Sorry, you're breaking up Stephen. your signal is very poor try again oh boy oh boy are you hearing me now yeah you're any better now Yes, yeah, so I was saying, um, in, in comparison to the usual games between the EPL big boys, 
was it was better than those games. I see a lot of people heralding the game yesterday as the best nil-nil game they've ever seen. Um, I think that's just a, a bit of a an overrating of the game. I didn't think it was that interesting. I agree with you. I don't think anyone particularly played well today, apart from maybe Liverpool's defence. Liverpool's defence was really well. They kept catching Chelsea outside. And a lot of people would point towards that being bad attacking. I think you have to give credit. When you play a high line and you rely on the offside drop, if you're consistently catching someone outside, that means you're doing something that you're training yourself to do. So yeah, in regards to that, those guys were on the defensive end of Liverpool. But overall, yeah, Salah was poor. Mane was poor. Um, Kante was poor. Uh, Mason Mount I didn't get a good game either. Uh, well, he missed Havertz, two, well, he missed one great sitter and one very good chance, which I thought was a bit tougher, but when you miss the second one, it just adds up. Yeah, I can see a lot of uh, Chelsea fans blaming Mason Mount for the loss, and the way I see it, you are relying on Mason Mount to score the winning goals for you in the finals. That means that there's a problem with your offense. I think Mason Mount is a decent player, but yeah, he misses chances. He's always going to miss chances. He's not Frank Lampard. You can't rely on him to, to finish those all the time. I, I do think people are overrating the chances he got. Um, in comparison, I not think the, the two- second one, not the second. One. I don't see how he missed that one. No, I mean, happened. I well, I do understand how he missed it, but I'm giving him. But I'm like, damn, that was a bad. If he missed that for England, I'd want him strong <laughs> up. I'd want him strong up and dragged him. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, but to me, that that wasn't those wouldn't even been the two top chances of the game. I think the best chance of the game fell to Liverpool. I thought Mane uh, after Mendy's mistake had the entirety of the goal to score and some of my own Mendy's hand and um, Salah one-on-one I would always him over Mason Mount those are the two easiest chances and Liverpool both of them so it, it could have gone either way the game itself fairly straightforward not a ton of chances um, I thought Liverpool were in control of, of the situation for the most part they didn't look worried at any point for me and it eventually went to penalties and when it goes to penalties it's 50-50 at that point well what I will say is this. The game started off, first 15 minutes, Chelsea was absolutely brilliant. And the movement of Havertz, Mount, and Pulisic were absolutely fantastic. Pulisic also had, had a good chance. It was absolutely fantastic. Then slowly but surely, Liverpool's middle, foot, mid, middle three started to dominate. But I will give Chelsea tremendous credit the way how they were moving off of the ball was always a threat. And that was able to create the different chances. Havertz being able to pull out wide um, and the interchanging of positions of the forward line. And even Conte, as much as he didn't have a good game, his ability to run off into space and pull in Keita with him, I thought that was, that was very, very good. And when I watched Chelsea play, I was saying to myself, I understand why Tuchel is such a top manager. Because even in a game in which they are being outplayed for long stretches, they still carry such a threat because of his coaching ability that the players basically can move in a way. They, they move in a way that you can directly correlate it to that's what they're doing in the training ground. They're working on this. Okay, you don't just get that synchronization. And... Yeah, of course, when you're not as good, I, I don't believe Chelsea's as good as Liverpool. You need, you need the breaks. Both teams had good chances. And yeah, if I'm a Chelsea fan, I was hoping that my player would score. But uh, my player, not my player, because most of them ain't my player. Pulisic ain't my player. 
<laughs> but yeah, but if I'm a Chelsea fan, I'd be thinking, yeah, I hope that they would score. But it, it, it's a, it's it's as simple as um thought nil nil. I guess based on the overall this play of the game, I felt Liverpool were better. But based on the chances of the game and the spirit of the game, I felt nil nil was good. I was really surprised at how poor Salah was, and we mentioned Salah's mischance, like. That was that 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 looked like a Marcus Rush. Well, no, Marcus Rush would have kicked the ball very hard and would have been in the fifth row. <laughs> but still, he, I don't know what I, like Tiago Silva cleared it, but and I saw someone say, Wow, I was like, Wow, what that ball was missing and it was moving so slowly. Like yeah. he could have he could have run backwards and cleared that ball. He the only reason why it looked de- somewhat spectacular in the end was because he got tangled in the net. Yes. So yeah, but again, it was a good final. I really appreciated watching it, and again, Chelsea when they play the back three, eventually they're going to be out in the midfield because you have two versus three, and Fabinho and and Henderson and Keita eventually was able to dominate the game. But this is a question I want to ask you: the game. I was watching Keita, and you remember, there's players who have said like, if you catch them in. The French league, you catch them in the Dutch league, you catch them in the German league. You catch them one weekend, you might think they might they're one of the best football players in the world, right? Because you don't watch them that much. I think Keita falls under that that bracket. Like I swear, sometimes I watch him and the delicacy in which he controls the football, delicacy, the delicate touches, the close <laughs> control, dribbling, the ability to kick a shot from time to time. He looks absolutely fantastic. And then another time I watch him like tomorrow, like yesterday, and I'm like, damn, yeah, this guy really needs to be subbed. He's just not, he's just, I don't see the impact. There's moments of flashes and I don't, I, I don't, I just don't get it. He's been there for quite a long, quite a few years and it just hasn't happened for him. And no matter how much the flashes come, the flashes go. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you in the Gerta, but Nabiketa is, a, he's interesting. He comes from Leipzig. He came from Leipzig, and what we've seen with a few of the Leipzig players now, Timo Werner, they're coming from a system that was very specific built to enhance certain players' characteristics and hide other players' characteristics. Which is why when they move to different teams and they're exposed to different philosophies and different roles, something happens. It's not catered to them, so there's there's definitely going to be a drawback in their own performance but it's they adapt to the new situation and for the most part I don't think Keita has adapted more than what, 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10 but the thing with him is he's been injured a lot too so that, that's definitely yeah. hurting he's been but, injured uh, a lot but he's, it's, but he's also played quite a lot like we look at Keita this season um, 13 this games season. in the Premier League 20 overall 13. 20 overall, yeah. That's that's more than enough time. It's not that it's not like we're talking about he just arrived. Yeah, but it's four seasons after uh, leaving a system that was perfect for him. So what can you really expect? He's never been a starting player for them. So there's always going to be a ceiling of what he can do. He's, he's a player that really and truly Liverpool could get away with um selling and trying to get something else. You know, my internet just chipped out a bit, so I didn't hear the last part, but I get the gist of what you're saying. When he was at Leipzig, yeah, it's not like he's a goal scorer. I always worry about football players who don't have a role that a novice can point out. 
Like, is he a defensive midfield? We and I both know that there's more complexities to it, but a guy can't just point to it and say he's this, he's that, or etc. Um, I always worry he doesn't score many goals. He isn't a great defender. He doesn't control the game. He's a good dribbler, but he's not a great dribbler. Uh, I always worry about it. Like, can he impact the game consistently? And I just don't, I just don't see it. On, uh, I don't. Does he have range of great range of passing? No, it just seems like. Honestly, Nabi and Ox, I think, are like the same type of player. And both of them are really good to have in your squad. And on a given weekend, I think both of them can look absolutely extraordinary. But you can't be depending on them. Uh, Liverpool have Thiago, who's absolutely fantastic, but he's always injured. So they're basically doing the analytics. We have three football players if we can just merge them at different points in the season, we get one top player. And I think that's what Liverpool have done. And that's why Liverpool is so high up in the table. Yeah, fair enough. That's a pretty indictment on Keita if you said that he and Ox are similar players because Ox really should be similar, on the Similar skill set, similar skill set, similar skill set. Yeah, I don't disagree with you. The play in the midfield for sure. I think Ox is a similar player to, to Keita as well. But for me, Ox has always been better as a wide player. Um, interesting. They're, I, I agree. They're a good players to have in your squad, but they're not necessarily players that you'd want starting thirty out of thirty-eight Premier League games for you. Um, and yeah, Liverpool could get could get away with uh, moving both of them on this summer, looking for improvements there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Liverpool will keep them because they just need to keep. Well, depends on the payroll, etc. But Liverpool, as I spoke last week, did really well in terms of buying players, and even a player like it, they always seem to find enough impact with them. To, yeah, for sure. To things. Well, that was that over the weekend. Manchester United, Stefan, <laughs> and notably Marcus Rashford, he looks broken. He looks tired. He, he looks uninvolved, disinterested, just completely different to the player that I was hyping a few years ago. And I, I, I'll continue to say it. He was never a left winger. He should never have been a left winger. And he continued for far too long. And he's had the injuries. Talk about injuries. He's just not the same player since the injuries. And he decided to go to the European Championships and... Not instead of getting surgery, and it, it just hasn't worked out for him. And unlike Trent, who, who had surgery, missed the Euros, and looks like one of the 10 best players in the world. Yeah, Marcus Rashford, um, it seems everything has gone wrong for him in the last couple of years. I remember years ago when Anthony Marshall joined um, Manchester United, and it was it came out that his agent said something along the lines of Arsenal were interested in him, but they, didn't, they decided not to pursue him because they thought of him more as a wide player and a centre-forward. That's what Wenger saw him as. They both, he goes to Manchester United. There comes a point in time where Manchester United have to decide who's going to be the wide player and who's going to be the centre-forward. I remember at that point in time, my thought was develop Rashford as a centre-forward and you keep Rashford as the wide player. They flipped it. And like you... I said, I don't think this is going to be the best for them long-term. Fast forward to now, Marshall is at Sevilla, struggling for game time. Rashford is struggling at Manchester United. Both players went down the wrong road, and they're suffering for days. When I saw Rashford on the weekend, I just, honestly, I just felt bad for him. Because he's a player I like. I definitely think he's an interesting skill set. 
but you're putting him out wide. You're asking him to do things that aren't necessarily what you would want from him when he is out wide. You're asking him to come up and play, to create chances, all of these kind of things. And that's never been his game. If you're going to play him wide, play him wide and let him play like a forward. But no, they've put all this unnecessary pressure on him. He made bad decisions not doing the surgery when he should have done the surgery, putting himself back wise all the injuries, um, bad play, the, the Cristiano Ronaldo move, all of these things are just going wrong for him. And it, it just looks like a match made in hell right now for Rashford. Every time he comes, you know that United fans who are not necessarily hoping he fails, but they're not upset when he fails because then they can say, that's what I said is going to happen. And it's just unnecessary pressure on him and it's just not going well. Well, that's just unfortunate. When you look at um when you look at everything that he has he has done for Manchester United coming up, you'd have felt that he would have kicked on it just he's he's always been, you know, he's you know, he's split opinion and yeah, the right now the opinion needs to point into when is Manchester United going to trade? He's he's quite lucky that Mason Greenwood has the issues um that he's having. Because then it would be it would be an easier decision for the new manager coming in to say, all right, we're going to stick with Greenwood and we're going to, we're going to see what we can get for Rashford. But with Greenwood out for who knows how long, um, Martial already gone. I don't think Manchester United can get rid of him. Yeah, and and that is problematic, I think, because if I if I am Marcus, I, I and I don't think he will ever think this way. But if I'm Marcus Rashford, I. I would want to leave Manchester United. I think it would be good for him to get away from Manchester, get away from the undue pressure from being a Manchester United player, Manchester lad, all of that. But when you look at Man United's attacking options right now, Cavani, one of the worst signings I think Manchester United ever made, needs to go, and he probably will go. Um, Ronaldo should go as well. Uh, who else do they have? Greenwood should probably be in jail soon. You're left with the well, I'm not going to say he should be in jail soon. We don't know what's happening. He hasn't been charged yet. So I'm not going to indict him. Of course, it, and from the outside looking in, um, it doesn't look good. And I haven't followed the case. Um, you know, I've missed, but, and I don't want to get into the. <laughs> All right, let's leave that alone. The law, well, the, but yeah, I'm, I'm hoping. But, the, if, if, but from so speaking from a fanatical point of view, for England going into the World Cup, and I was saying the one I can enjoy the season because. It's the first World Cup year where I don't have to go in towards the end of the season. Oh, this player needs to rest. Oh, this player has a knock. Go on, go on some health.com website. Um, yo, <laughs> you think if you have a sprained ankle, can you come back? Like stuff like that. Um, counting minutes, looking at other teams, right? Yeah. For in England to go into this World Cup, which is going to be their best squad, to lose what I considered two top talents coming into this cycle of Marcus Rashford, because he had the back injury and he hasn't developed, and Mason Greenwood, who I think is an extremely good wildcard to have on any team in the world, right? To bring on your squad. To, to lose those two strikers, whew, as an England fan, that already starts to hurt my head. Uh, I mean, I think England will be fine. I think England have enough options of um, attacking players to. Like that, man. I think England will be fine. We mean be fine. They have, we have England have won nothing. We mean they fine. Went, I mean, they went to the they went to a final and they didn't even need, Mar- they didn't need Marcus Rashford or Mason um, Greenwood. So I think that, I think they have enough options. Which, a final in which they played all but one game at home, in which everything basically went right for them until the final. 
Yeah. And, and, like, and once and again, I anticipate them going to a final. And come December, Hurricane is going to be a year older. And nobody else. So it's one. And, and also, Jaden Sancho, well, he did look a bit, bit better over the weekend as another player who hasn't even come on to replace either one of them. So, um, yeah, sure, said, sure. But then tell me. From my English point of view, I'm very, you know. Well, yeah, from an English point of view, from an English point of view, Phil Foden should be much better than he was at the Euros. He's a he's a top talent. Um, they have Emil Smith Rowe now. Um, Tammy Abraham is doing well. Saka should be better. Sterling is still gonna be Sterling. Uh, they have they have. A, I, I wouldn't be concerned by those two. But anyway, the point of the matter yeah, is. Lastly, on that point, is you're not incorporating injuries. That injuries happen, and you need to be able to think. The reason the players that you're talking about, yeah. Rashford didn't do much and Greenwood wasn't there because we had the depth, right? So if we don't have them and no replying on the players you have, you have to also count on injuries with them. And then you look at a player like Hudson Adoy, who I still want to play for England. He might go and play for Ghana. Like right now, I'm actively rooting for Ghana to not qualify for the World Cup. It has nothing like they need to not qualify because I need to have because I need just to have the hope of Hudson Adoy, you know. Yeah, fair enough. But uh, as I said, I think England have some upcoming talents. We'll see over the next what twelve months. We have enough time for someone to come through. Anyway, back to the Marcus Rashford point. It's just interesting to me uh, when you look at Manchester United right now and you look at all of their attacking options. Theoretically, or in reality, whatever you want to call it, there is an argument for pretty much ninety percent of them being sold before September, which is not a good look. Definitely. All right, you know what I always want to ask you, Stefan? Someone said to me they're waiting on me to criticize Messi because you know how highly I rate Messi, blah blah blah. Yeah, has Messi just forgotten how to score? Like, pretty much. Like, what the hell, man? I, I watched the game over the weekend, right? And I'm just anticipating him scoring. Like, yeah, Messi's gonna score. I can rub it in someone's face. And he's just not scoring, man. Like, has he just forgotten? <laughs> it really looks like he has. Um, I saw the game on the weekend. He had two two chances where I think. Prime Messi scored, but uh, two more assists to his. his and he's the weekend different. before he hit the bar, missed a penalty. Jesus, man! Like, come he, on. He's definitely he's definitely in a more creation phase of his career. I remember years ago, probably five years ago, um, we were talking about Messi, and I, I did think that towards the end of his career, I could see his um, goal scoring stats going down and his assist stats going up because he's gonna naturally fall further down the pitch, pitch and go into a more creative mode. But I didn't expect it to be like this. I think he has two goals in, in the French league so far, which is embarrassing. This is some yeah. Thomas Muller stuff. And you know how I've been critical of Thomas Muller. Yeah, like, sure. you know, he has like 10 assists or and two goals. Like this is just like those are stuff that Thomas Muller does. Anyway. Five goals in the Champions League, though, which is quite interesting. We better play well against Real Madrid so I can because I told someone that's I said if he doesn't play well against Real Madrid, I'm gonna to have to knock him and that will that will kill me. I don't think I've knocked Messi ever publicly, like never. So he doesn't play well against Real Madrid and they lose. Ooh, I'm gonna to have to knock him. Um, and that's about it. Anything else catch your eye over the weekend before we go? That was a fairly straightforward um football weekend. Nothing out of the ordinary for me. Anything for you? 
No, nothing really, you know. Um, the final was the most important thing. Um, over over the weekend, sad to see Bielsa getting fired. But I think Bielsa reminds me of that quote: like he should be at a team for no more than three, four years. Then he needs to switch. Like after three years, it's time to find a new team, get a new set of players because I think he burns them out. His message becomes weird. Saw that with Argentina, we've seen it with Bilbao. Wherever he goes, goes. If you check his record, three to four years, it burns out. The high press, the the, the tactical nuances, the, the consistently trying to keep the ball, a runner, a, just have just so much emphasis on fitness. Eventually, burns players out, and you just need to have um, we just need to have a new team. Yeah, for sure. Um. Three to four years is actually long. Is actually what leads, and that's very much the longest he's ever been at the club. Um, yeah, he normally sure. goes. Yeah, that's that's a, that's his time period. Three to four yeah. Bilbo Bilbo was two years. I think Argentina is the longest overall, but that's not a, that's not a club team. But for a club, yeah. And he was for Chile. He was at Chile for he was at Chile for the one World Cup cycle. Yeah, then, Chile for four years. Argentina six years, and then um, at Leeds for four years as well. Shortest reign, two days at Lazio. Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, no. Yeah. I, I, he I was, was, he was very... I give him a lot of credit because he helped redevelop um, Calvin Phillips and turn yeah. Calvin Phillips into a, a very good defensive midfielder and a player that I believe... I'm thankful. And, and a player that I believe that is very good on any level. He's a very good footballer. Has, he's, and I saw the stats of with him there and without him there. With him there, there would be there'd be a mid-table level team based on the points. Um, without him, relegation team. He's just that <laughs> and, and that is what Leeds are. Leeds, for the most part, they still are a championship team. That people came in and they, they spent a lot of money the first season, but they really invest that in, into quality players that would really push them off the table. And with Bamford and Phillips out for the majority of the season, along with a lot of other injuries, the squad just couldn't cope with it. I'm sad to see him. As a manager, I really enjoy watching his team play. But the last couple of games, he's just been leaking goals and there's not much they can do to stop that. Um, will a change of approach necessarily help? I, I don't know because the players are built in a specific way. But yeah, we shall see. There were some stats done, you know, a few years back. A few years back and it suggested that when you get a change in manager, the first, the initial five games, first five to six games, there's a boost in um, points. That's why managers get fired towards the end of the season when they're trying to make sure stave off relegation because they just want that boost. So if yeah. Leeds can just get that boost, they'll they'll be safe for another season. And that's the most important thing for Leeds ownership. And I'm pretty sure Leeds fans at the moment. Yeah, Staying but I think the- based on based on everyone's game in hand right now, if they win, not how it works, I know. But based on that, I think Leeds are actually in the relegation, which is kind of shocking to me. I didn't realize that but yeah Burnley if Burnley if Burnley manages to win their next two games um they will be able to pass them but Burnley Burnley's garbage man Burnley not winning no games Burnley's like quote me on that Burnley's next game is against Leicester and Chelsea I guarantee you <laughs> yeah they ain't getting six points out of those games Burnley Burnley's another trash team that needs to go away they're, they're they, both home they're, they're both home points, games yeah. They're they're two behind, what what are they? They're two points behind Leeds. So I guess that would probably they get two points from those games. Yeah, may tie them. But yeah, Burnley's trash. Burnley needs to get out of life. I prefer the really, nostalgia of um 
of Leeds. I definitely, I definitely want to see Burnley go just because I think their football is so incredibly boring. Yeah. And what really annoys me is the fact that Shaq is so regularly praised as if he's doing something out of the ordinary. <laughs> he's playing old school football and it gets results in the EPL. Do you know anything more than that? I actually saw someone say the other day that Sean Dyke's role or job at Burnley is more impressive to them than what Guardiola has done for Man City. And I, like, I don't need to hear you talk about football anymore. Dyche, that, that garbage, man. The, those, the guy, you bounce two times, you, 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 you see a pass, you kick it long. Yo, 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 those old time, those, those, just a lot of the, the, the type of football that used to get me teased being an England fan. <laughs> old school English football. The man is just a walking cliche. He needs to get out. Um, Shout out to Newcastle, though. Newcastle, the last six games, draw, win, 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 draw, win. Yeah, four wins and two draws. Shout out to Newcastle. Um, doing the business. The new richest club in the world. I mean, when you spend the amount of money they spent in January, you should you should go up the table very quickly. But I give them credit. I thought they made some good signings in the January window. Trippier, unfortunately, is already injured. He's a great cook for them. And um, Dan Burns coming in defence, good player. But yeah, Newcastle are starting to do good things. Eddie Howe over there doing decent rebuilding his managerial reputation. Um, a big change for them is the fact that they've they've managed to turn their forty million dollar attacking player Joel Desai, their Brazilian superstar, into a box to box midfielder. That's one of the weirdest moves. bring that up. Yeah, one of the weirdest. I can't think of another player who went from center forward midfield and actually looked decent. Alan Smith had a little run, but I always thought Alan Smith's running midfield was highly overrated playing for the best team in the league. But Joe Elton, he looks a completely different player. The only thing I can think of is when Baptista um, played for Seville, played in midfield and then eventually turned into a a top striker. But that was really just myth. And he went to Real Madrid and Real Madrid bought him to play left midfield and he was trash. Went to Arsenal Arsenal and was trash. Uh, and they used to call him the beast as like the beast. Yep. Like, what? He was like more like a more like a kitten. <laughs> he had he had a run which is fairly similar to what Adama Traor is having now for Barcelona because Adama Traor yeah. he's reborn over there now. Physically, he's just on another planet over there. He's starting to click with with the better players. Uh, it's interesting to see how all of these um these trash EPL players are doing well in Spain. That doesn't that doesn't bode well for my view of the. Well, I've said before with Traore, Traore is a is a type of football player that I always have in my squad. Yep, he's a his his physical gifts plus his exceptional dribbling, hard working. I would always have him. Like when Spain is talking about, like, yo, this guy needs to play. He's a he's a difference maker to have on your team. Anyway, yeah. Stefan, that's it for this weekend. Can't wait to catch up with you next week. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, man. Peace.